the, uh, the birth of Jesus changed everything, no matter what language you speak. Uh, sometimes it's, uh, it's hard to keep that in mind. It's hard to remember that. Uh, some of us never really get it. In uh, 1863, a newspaper editor from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, traveled 35 miles to the wheat fields just outside of Gettysburg, where 10,000 men had recently died in grisly combat. And there he heard President Abraham Lincoln speak. Lincoln said, Four score and seven years ago, our forefathers brought forth upon this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Lincoln went on to say that America was to be a nation whose government was of the people, by the people, and for the people. That's where that phrase came from. This four-minute speech is widely considered the, the most brilliant in American history, if not the entire English language. However, the next day, the Harrisburg editor wrote this. We pass over the silly remarks of the president. For the credit of the nation, we are willing that the veil of oblivion shall be dropped over them and that they should no more be repeated or thought of after this day. Despite who we are or how much we think we know or how much education we have or how sophisticated we are or how pure our motives, sometimes we just don't get it. Sometimes we miss it. Many people missed it on that first Christmas night. The most powerful man in the world, Caesar, he missed it. He was a long way away from it. But Herod, Herod was uh, the ruler in Judea. He was closer. He missed it as well. The religious leaders in Israel who spent their entire lives looking for it, they missed it. The townspeople of Bethlehem were very close, but they missed it. The innkeeper was right next door, and as far as we know, he missed it altogether. They miss what some believe to be the most significant event in human history. Some believe they missed the human birth of God, the eternal Son. All of the writers of the New Testament believed that, and most of them gave their lives for that belief. I believe it too. And I want to do my best in just a couple of minutes this morning to remind us of that and and to bring it to light so that hopefully none of us here will miss it. Or we, we, will, we won't forget it. If we survey the New Testament accounts of Jesus' birth, we noticed several things that Jesus wasn't. And one critically important thing that he was. So I want to summarize some of that today to help us remember. And help us get it. Or in some cases, re-get it. First of all, Jesus wasn't nobility. What is it with the American fascination with British nobility? I mean, we fought a war to get away from those people, and still we are obsessed. You know, your position at birth is important no matter what age you live in. But in the age that Jesus lived in, it was everything. And Jesus' birth, well, his position was uh, colorful at best. Of course, his parents were descendants of King David, but that's about like uh, saying what that homeless man said to me one time, that he was a descendant of George Washington. It didn't mean a whole lot. Jesus was from an obscure area, born of obscure parents. His, his uh, family's lifestyle was modest, even by ancient Near Eastern terms. They were basically poor. 
And think of his birth, which we often romanticize. His birth actually happened in the company of outcasts, maybe criminals. I mean, shepherds were the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder in Jesus' day. Plus, they were considered to be ceremonially unclean, and that was a big deal then. Usually, they were tending someone else's sheep, and, and they were thought of as less than diligent, let's say. So they were almost always hoarding off of other people's land to feed their sheep. In many cases, this was considered thievery. These were the first witnesses to Jesus' birth. Jesus was not nobility. Secondly, Jesus was not a celebrity. Now, the ancient Near East didn't really know the kind of celebrityism that our culture has spawned, but it's so much a part of the way that we think of significant people that we should remind ourselves Jesus was not anything like a celebrity. Again, consider his birth. Imagine if uh, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey actually do end up getting married, and imagine if they had a child. Think of the hoopla. Oh, what, what are they going to name it? Oh, will it be a boy or a girl? Oh, the speculation. Well, Jesus' birth was the exact opposite of that. First of all, there were very few witnesses, and as we said, the witnesses who were there were a bit unsavory. And the accommodations, no celebrity worth her salt would put up with such accommodations. Did you know that when Jay-Z and Beyonce had their first child, she went to a birthing center that charged $28,000 a night. Jesus was born in a barn. Even later in his life, when he gained some notoriety, most would have considered him infamous, not really famous, and even that was short-lived. Jesus was not a celebrity. Third, finally, and maybe most importantly, Jesus was not a military hero. Uh, now, military might is what many who were looking for the Messiah believed that he would be, and this was also the clearest ticket to rulership in the ancient world. But Jesus was not this. He wasn't born to a military family, he had no military heritage. His birth announcement was an announcement of peace. He never mustered an army, and as far as we know, he ever, never fought in a single battle. And remember the signs that the shepherds were encouraged to look for at his birth? Do you remember this? They were to go to town, look for a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a feeding trough. These were signs and symbols of meekness and humility, not signs pointing toward future military might. No, Jesus did not represent military might. He didn't come to overwhelm. He didn't come to judge. He didn't come to elevate himself. Jesus wasn't anything that we might expect of someone who would eventually be someone. So what was he? Well, uh, there's a passage in Matthew's account of Jesus where he describes Jesus and he answers that question very succinctly. Matthew said, in short, Jesus was God with us. This is what Christmas means. God came to be with us. This is what this season is all about. And his first followers believed that. And don't snooze on that. The first followers believed that. That's a huge problem for skeptics of the faith. Listen up. There are certainly reasons to doubt that Jesus was who he claimed to be. But one of the biggest problems for skeptics, maybe the biggest problem, is that his first followers believed that. First century Jews were the very last people to believe that Jesus was God with us. They were expecting Messiah to be sure, but they were not expecting God the Son. 
This was nearly unthinkable for a self-respecting, God-fearing Jew to believe. And yet, there was Matthew quoting from Isaiah to explain the significance of Jesus' birth. And he said this, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Right at the beginning of his account in Matthew's life, and Jesus' life, Matthew tips his hand. God with us. Writing later, Jesus' best friend John, in his poetic introduction to his biography of Jesus, he did the same thing. He said this, in the beginning was the Word. That's his, that's his poetic phrase for Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Again, it's a a marvel that any self-respecting, God-fearing Jew would say such a thing. And that marvel, that has to be explained somehow. That's tough for the skeptics. It's definitely true, look. It's definitely true that Eastern religions ascribe to a kind of pantheism, which is the belief that everything participates somehow in godness. And and certainly in pantheistic traditions, it's possible for an individual person for a season to be like an avatar for God because we all participate. Everything participates in godness. And in the Greco-Roman world, they were polytheists. They believed in many gods. And they, they had concepts of one of the gods coming down to earth and dressing up like a human for a while. There's even a story in the book of Acts where Paul and Barnabas performed miracles and and the city's inhabitants where they did this, they they thought that they were Zeus or Hermes come to life. These these folks could imagine a godlike figure in human form, but first century Jews were not polytheists and they were not uh, Greco-Roman and they were not Eastern pantheists. First century Jews believed in the God of the Bible, the creator and sustainer of all things, infinite, unimaginable, almost unapproachable. So this is not possible for any self-respecting, God-fearing Jew to believe. And yet, there was Thomas, another one of Jesus' closest friends and and one of his students. After Jesus' death, Thomas heard reports that Jesus had risen from the grave, and Thomas's thoughts were much like what ours would have been. Thomas thought, you didn't look, guys. I know we want him to be alive, but he just isn't, okay? We've got to face reality. And then, When Jesus came into the room, Thomas fell at his feet and proclaimed, My Lord and my God! Now look, some of you know my wife Diane, and and Diane is the best human that I know. There have been many times in our lives when her kindness and her service to others have rendered me speechless. I've said to myself many times over the years, Who are you? Uh, But... I've never been tempted to get on my knees before Diane and say, my Lord and my God. But Jesus' friends came to the only conclusion that was available to them. Jesus was God with us. I also want you to notice that that phrase is active. It is essentially in the present tense. And that's what these guys came to believe and what the church has proclaimed for 2,000 years. He is God with us. In fact, at the very end of his life, Jesus told us, I'm with you always. Uh, that's, what, that's what this day and tomorrow means. And when we really get that, when we really get it, then the night that changed everything will change everything for us.
1865, William Dix suddenly came down with a very serious illness. This illness was nearly fatal, and it robbed William of his strength. He was bedridden for months, and as he lay near death, William did what many of us have done when we faced real difficulty. Uh, he began to reflect on his life and on the meaning of things, and that led him to questions about Jesus and the identity of Jesus. And during this experience, he reconnected with the faith of his childhood. He got it. And he, he wrote a beautiful poem that spilled out of the emotions of this encounter with Jesus. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping? Dix's question and the, the, the wonder of his poem, it reminded me of another question that was asked about Jesus by his friends. It's, it's from my favorite account in the entire biographies of Jesus. He, he was on a boat one time with his friends, and a terrible storm came up that threatened to kill them all. And, and the Bible says that they were afraid, and they started begging Jesus to do something. I'm not at all sure what they thought Jesus could do, but Jesus stood on the brow of the boat, and he commanded the storm to be still. And it grew quiet. And then the Bible says that the disciples were terrified, more afraid than they had been during the life-threatening storm. And Matthew records for us that one of them turned to the group and asked, what kind of man is this? What child is this? What kind of man is this? Well, it says, this is God with us. And that changes everything. Let's pray. Father, we uh, pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior and God with us. We pray, Lord, that today, tomorrow, you would offer constant reminders of your presence, your governance, and that your, your visit to the planet changed everything. Father, hear our prayer. And let our cry be known to you. In Jesus' name, amen.